1: Happy New Year. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, our heavenly Father, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, open and illuminate our minds this morning that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood and that in nothing we may be displeasing unto your majesty. Father, we come to you and pray this, the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, amen. Well, happy New Year's Eve. Uh, I'm sure there are many of you who, here who love New Year's Eve. Um, you love the parties, the weird hats, the ball drops, and the singing of all the songs. Um, I'm not really one of those. Uh, it's it's kind of just another day to me. Um, I mean, the best thing about New Year's Eve, well, it used to be, the best thing about New Year's Eve used to be the Twilight Zone marathon on the Sci-Fi channel. Um, But, I mean, the parade is nice the next day, but, you know, now, ever since Netflix and Amazon Prime, those types of magical things really mean nothing. Um, It's just not special anymore. I mean, when everything's on demand, it's just, it's not special. Um, But, you know, there's something about the idea of a new year that I think is still intriguing, right? I think there's, there's something inside of us that, that loves the idea of a fresh start, uh, something inherently refreshing about the idea of a new year, a clean slate, kind of starting from scratch. Um, I, I think that's why New Year's resolutions are a thing. I mean, really, January 1st is just like any other day. It's kind of an arbitrary thing. Um, there's not anything magical about the, the number of the day on the calendar. Uh, you, you don't actually need to wait until January 1st to make a resolution. You could actually do that any day of the year. Uh, yeah, I, I, groundbreaking, I know, I know. Uh, so, I mean, you don't need to wait until tomorrow morning to eat healthy or start working out or spend more time with your family and friends or read books or uh, whatever your resolutions might be. Um, but... Even though that's true, there's there's technically nothing special about tomorrow, but at the same time, why not? What better day to make resolutions? Why not examine our lives and identify where we want to change and go for it? I mean, that's never a bad thing. And and I think that's the thing when I think about it, is we all want to change. Every single one of us here, I don't think there's anyone sitting here who's completely and totally satisfied with who they are as a person and how their life is going. Um, every single one of us here right now has things in their life that they want to stop doing and things in their life that they want to start doing. Um, you know, stuff you want out of your life and stuff you want to add to your life. Maybe you want to stop eating junk food and start eating more vegetables. Maybe you want to stop smoking and start exercising. Maybe you want to stop spending so much time with your face and your phone and start being present with people. Stop doing and start doing. doing. Actually, probably my favorite one that I saw one of my friends this morning posted on Facebook. He said, this is the most impossible resolution I've ever heard. He said, my, New Year's, my one New Year's resolution is to use a chapstick stick all the way down to the end without losing it. I said, never happen." I think I may, I mean, I, I've never even gotten halfway down one of those things without losing it. Impossible. That's like actually using a pen all the way out of ink. It never happens. Uh, they just disappear. So we have these New Year's resolutions, right? Um, whether you made them or not, whether you're kind of just thinking about things or actually like I'm going to make a resolution, we all have things in our life like this. We, we all want to change. But why? Why do we want to change? Well, I mean, really, that's easy. Our lives aren't what we want them to be, right? We aren't what we want to be. We want to be happier. We want to be better. We all want to flourish. We want to excel. We want to be happy. We want to be blessed. And I don't think that's, that's not entirely wrong. That's not an entirely wrong goal. Um, No one sets out to be miserable or I want to be less happy this year. That just doesn't make any sense. We're not created to be like that. And in fact, pursuing happiness can be a perfectly Christian task. And here's the amazing thing God has revealed to us in his word exactly how to do this. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see a portion of scripture where God reveals what the happy Christian, what the blessed Christian looks like what they do, and how this affects their life. You see, the Bible is not just a book of rules, but it's God's revelation to us, his people, about who he is and how to live according to the way that he has made us. In his holy word, God reveals to us how to be happy. So to be happy in 2018, if you want your life to be blessed, let's look to God's holy word. With that, turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Let's read. Hear the words of God in his holy word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. What it says this morning, God's revealed way to be blessed, to be happy for this new year. Now, as we dig in a little deeper, I want to give a quick disclaimer. I know it says uh, something different on the the bulletin, but I have a, geez, someone's celebrating a little early there. Uh, I have a habit of changing my sermon titles on Sunday morning. I don't know why. Um. But the sermon is entitled, officially, The Happy Christian. And I'm going to continually describe the person in Psalm 1 as the happy Christian. And you may be looking at Psalm 1 saying, well, I don't see anything about happiness here. I mean, it says blessed. But here's the thing. The, the Hebrew term that's used there for blessed is one of those words that kind of has a wider meaning in Hebrew than it does in English. Um, and so, and, and plus blessed is kind of one of those words that's, that's lost its meaning a bit. In English, It's kind of become a hashtag or, oh, bless your heart. We just use it so much and it's lost its meaning. Um, really, the idea of blessing in the Psalms especially, but in the, the Old Testament, the blessed person, and when Jesus uses the same phrase in the New Testament, in the Beatitudes, is the idea of being happy because one is favored by God. Now, not happy in just a shallow way with, uh, you know, all that that contains, but a deep abiding sense that God's favor is on you. That's what biblical happiness is. Now, sometimes that expresses, expresses itself in emotion, sometimes not, but it's not that kind of like hunky-dory happiness. So don't think of that when I say the happy Christian. So let's get into the text. So what we're going to do this morning is break down the psalm and take it two verses at a time, paragraph by paragraph, just like it's written in your Bibles. So first, what we're going to see is the actions that the happy Christian does. Second, we're going to see a description of how this affects their life. And third, we're going to see how this affects their eternal state. So what the happy Christian's life looks like, how this affects their life, and how this affects their eternal state. So first, the happy Christian rejects the world's voice, but treasures God's voice. The happy Christian rejects the world's voice, but treasures God's voice. You see, the happy Christian or the blessed Christian does not follow the advice and values of those who reject God, but instead, this blessed Christian, the happy Christian, treasures God's word. In other words, as they are navigating through decisions and through life, the happy Christian looks to God's word for their source of wisdom, guidance, authority, and they shut their ears to the wisdom Of the world. Look again at the first two verses here of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, the happy Christian is one who stops listening to the voice, to the counsel of sinners, of the world, and starts listening to the voice of God in his word. See, so first let's look at that shutting out. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, when you hear wicked, the word wicked, don't think of like the wicked witch of the West or like wicked, like some evil cackling villain in a castle. Um, Wicked in the Bible just means ungodly. So biblically, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they just literally use the word ungodly. I think if you have King James, I think it says ungodly as well. So who are these wicked, the ungodly? It's simple, those who reject God. It's not just mass murderers and things like that, but everyone who rejects God. They literally are ungodly, without God. Those who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So the happy Christian, then the psalmist tells us, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not basing his life on what the world has to say, those who are without God. He doesn't take his life advice from those who don't know and don't love God. The happy Christian doesn't look to his or her non-Christian friends and try to be like them. The happy Christian doesn't take their values or priorities from people who don't love Christ. The happy Christian shuts out these voices. Now, I'm not saying that you can't learn anything from non-Christians or that you shouldn't have non-Christian friends or you should never read a book by a non-Christian or anything like that. It's much deeper than that. Um, And it's not actually physically shutting out their voice. Like, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. What this verse is getting at is saying that when you think about the deep purposes of your life, your priorities, your pursuits, the things you love, the things you value, your moral standards, you are not to be getting these from the wicked, from sinners, from scoffers, as it will continue to say, from ungodly people, those who don't know God. So you want to be happy, blessed. The psalmist tells us, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And next, the happy Christian doesn't stand in the way of sinners. So we've gone from walking to standing, and so there's a little bit more permanence Don't stand in the way of sinners, the psalmist tells us. The happy Christian doesn't do this. Now, this is basically saying the same thing as the previous verse. Uh, Way in Hebrew kind of contains the idea of a way of life. It's your way of living. So again, don't take your understanding of what life is from sinners, from those who don't know God. The happy Christian doesn't do this. They don't stand in the way of sinners. They don't give sinners their ear So Christian, the psalmist tells us, you want to be happy, blessed. Stop trying to live like sinners do. Stop emulating their lifestyle. Stop imitating their priorities. Shut out those voices. So the happy Christian doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, the psalmist tells us. Now, this is... This is another level of seriousness. So far we've talked about the wicked, the ungodly, sinners, but now scoffers. And scoffing is a much more serious term than even wickedness or sinning sinners. A scoffer, biblically, is someone who mocks God. So this isn't someone who's just ungodly. They're not just going about their life without reference to God. This is someone who openly mocks God himself scoffs at him. Again, it's kind of one of those words we don't really use a lot in modern times, but think of the idea of mocking. That's a good way to put it. And so a scoffer is someone uh, in the scripture who mocks God, mocks godly people, and ultimately lives however they want to. Their standard of living is themselves. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. They follow their desires, and we'll see this. A scoffer is one of those people, you probably know people like this, who no one can tell them what to do. They're just going to do what they're going to do. Listen to how Proverbs, in Proverbs 21, 24, it gives us a definition. It says this scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So a scoffer is arrogant, someone who's arrogant and haughty and acts out of that pride. Proverbs 24 calls the scoffer an abomination to mankind. Probably the best example, though, of scoffing in the Bible is when Jesus is on the cross. Now, here is the very Son of God through whom the entire universe and all human beings were created, and he's hanging on a Roman cross, nails through his hands and through his feet, beaten and whipped, covered in his own blood, crown of thorns on his head, and Luke tells us that the rulers have something to say to him, the Pharisees have something to say to him. This is what they say in Luke twenty-three thirty-five, And the people stood by watching. So the, the, the people are just watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. This is scoffing, mocking a man while he's dying. A horrible, excruciating death. And then on top of that, not just any man the very son of God, as he's hanging on a cross, teasing him, making fun of him. Oh, you think you're so tough. Why don't you come down now? Save yourself. Scoffing, mocking. The magnitude of what they're doing is staggering. Mocking the son of God as he hangs there, like an animal, like a slave, crucified. And there were scoffers back then, but there are scoffers Today. 2 Peter 3.3, 3, we'll get into it more in our series, uh, by the way. Next week, we're starting 2 Peter. Please come excited. Uh, 2 Peter 3.3 3 says this. Scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will, con- they will say, so this is, this is what Peter says, predicting. This is what scoffers will say in the last day, which is now. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, scoffers will be the ones who say, you said Jesus was coming back, where is he? Everything's been going on just like it always has. Whatever you're believing is not true. Scoffing, mocking the ideas that God has revealed in his word. And so Peter basically says, be on the lookout for these people, these scoffers, those who follow their own sinful desires and mock what God has said in his word. Sound familiar? I mean, I'm sure it would be really hard to find people today who follow their own sinful desires and who mocks God's word, right? Not even close. I mean, there's so many modern examples, but I'll give you a few, kind of ranging from from the obvious to the not so obvious. I mean, some of them are just so easy. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins, uh, this is a much longer quote, but here's a bite-sized piece of it. He says this, in his book, The God Delusion, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. And it goes on. That scoffing, arrogance, saying, I'm gonna judge God for who he is. The, the, the pot calling out the, uh, the, pot, the potter. Jeez. Jeez. Here's another one, atheist philosopher, Thomas Nagel. And he says this, now just listen to what he says. This is is extremely interesting. He says, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. In other words, it's, it's not just that I don't think there's a God. I don't want there to be. Why? Because I want to follow my own sinful desires. If there's a God, I am in trouble, in other words. Now this is scoffing, mocking, rejecting God outright. Scoffing is the proverbial shaking of the fist at the heavens. It's the proclamation of I will live my life how I want regardless of what God's word says. But scoffing is also this idea of following one's own sinful desires. It's the idea of doing whatever you want to do, no matter what God has said in his word. And this is pretty much the idea of our entire culture. I mean, the whole motto is kind of do what feels right to you. Don't deny yourself. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you think is right for you, that's right for you. Don't let anybody judge you. It's your life. You have to follow your heart. You need to live by your own set of rules not worry about what other people say, especially not God. You see why this is mocking God? Because he has revealed himself to us, who he is and what he has created us for in his word. And yet people look at it and say, no, I'm gonna do my own thing. That's scoffing, mocking God, openly rejecting what God has said. And so the psalmist tells us that the happy Christian doesn't sit In the seat of scoffers. In other words, he doesn't give an ear to the scoffers in their life. He doesn't take their his values and priorities from these people. So when these people say, do whatever feels right, the happy Christian says, No, I'm gonna do what's according to God's word. The happy Christian doesn't allow themselves to be influenced by the ungodly sinners, the scoffers. They filter everything through the lens of God's word. And see, that's, that's kind of the rub. It's, it's easy to read a quote by Richard Dawkins and, and just kind of laugh at it and go, geez, what an arrogant person, you know, and not to be influenced. When I, when I read that quote about what he says about the God of the Old Testament, it's not tempting to be, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I'm influenced to think that now. But think about this way. What are, what are you allowing to influence you? What voices are you allowing to speak into your life. And the question that I would pose is is the voice of the ungodly sinners, scoffers, the wicked, does it have an influence in your life? Let me let you in on a little secret. Almost all of celebrity culture, pop culture is an ungodly voice. Now, I want to be careful because I'm not saying just throw your TV out and, you know, go live in the woods with your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But what this text is telling us is that if you want to be a happy Christian, the blessed man, the blessed Christian, the blessed woman, you better be extremely mindful about what voices you're allowing to speak into your life. The shows you watch, the books you read, the Instagram accounts you follow, the celebrities that you admire, are you allowing them influence in your life? And don't just be so quick to say no. I mean, think about it. Especially this new year. Psalm 1 is telling us, you want to be happy, don't let these things influence you. Do not listen to their voice. So for example, for myself, in my own life, there was a very popular comedy show uh, on years ago that I was watching, and it was appropriate in the sense that it didn't, I mean, there was no nudity or anything like that in it. But the entire show was kind of glorifying a very cavalier, uh, casual, humorous attitude towards what the Bible calls fornication, sex outside of marriage. And after a while, I realized that it was subtly affecting my views, uh, my thinking, not necessarily my actions yet, but it was subtly undermining a biblical view of sex in my mind. It was making me laugh at what the Bible considers grave sin. And you might stop and say, well, it's just a joke. Yes, but it can affect us. What we laugh at becomes what we don't take very seriously. Now, again, um, everyone has to draw these lines for themselves, And and I'm not going to force my my own lines on you. But I realized this. And so I stopped watching it. And guess what? I didn't die. Uh, I I, I could still exist in modern culture. In fact, I'm happier for it, like the psalmist says. Um, And so think about the things that you allow to have a voice in your life. Women. If you're filling your mind with romance novels, even Christian ones, uh, you just be extremely aware of how they're affecting your thinking. Is Instagram making you covet, covet other people's lives? I don't know, get rid of it. I'm not saying it is, but you need to examine your own life. I can't examine your life for you. You don't need these things. Are you browsing Facebook all the time, watching the sinful lives of other people and beginning to desire it? Get rid of it. You'll be happier, the psalmist says. Are you tempted to send or receive inappropriate messages on Snapchat or texting or whatever? Get rid of it. You'll be happier for it. Are the TV shows you watch sexualizing your thinking? Stop watching them. Christian, the psalmist tells us you'll be happier for it. And so as Christians, what we need to do is examine what influences us. Now, again, I can't draw those lines for you. Nobody can. Uh, Everyone's affected by things differently. Um, that's where the area of Christian liberty comes in. But my plea is simply this. Make sure you are not allowing ungodly influence in your life as a Christian. Not only may it lead you to sin, but it will make you less happy. See, as Christians, we've been given a new heart and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Well, part of what that means is we, when we live in a lifestyle of sin, it makes us miserable because we're no longer living of how we're created to be. And so, not only is it sinful, but it ruins our happiness. As a Christian, you will not be able to live in continued sustained sin and flourish. It just won't happen. And so, the happy Christian shuts out the voice of the world. But that's not all. Look, the happy Christian stops listening to the voice of the world, but, and there's a big but in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the happy Christian rejects one source of influence for another. You see, that's the thing. We're all going to be influenced continually. Uh, it's It's not a choice. You don't get to choose to just not be influenced. We're all influenced continually. So what the happy Christian does here in Psalm 1 is rejects the influence of the world and opens himself to the influence of God's word. The happy Christian finds their delight in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, in God's Word. The whole Bible is God's law, it's, it's God's instruction. And so the Christian takes God's Word and treasures it. He meditates on it, devours it, digests it, consumes it. And ultimately, the happy Christian is the one who allows God's voice to be the ultimate authoritative voice their life and in their heart so the happy christian delights in god's word they treasure this word of god now i know many of you and i know myself especially sometimes we struggle with treasuring god's word it can become a a duty or task just to complete but allow this psalm to speak to you this morning if you are a christian and you're not treasuring god's word you will be much less happy for it It's, it's it's guaranteed and this is evidenced not only by scripture itself, by the Psalm, but by my own life experience, and I'm sure yours as well. Every Christian I have met whom I've admired, you meet those Christians, they're like, wow, I wanna be godly like they are. I wanna have the joy like they do. Everyone that I've met that's a contagiously godly person is a person who treasures God's word. It's, it's just true. I dare you to find a Christian who's filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, who's godly, who's happy, whose life you want to emulate, who doesn't treasure God's word. You're not going to find one. It's pretty simple. So Christian, maybe you're sitting here today and you're not happy, you're depressed, you're miserable. Well, let me ask, have you considered that one of the factors may be your lack of delighting in God's word? Now, Again, life is complicated. So I'm not saying just read the Bible more and your life will be perfect, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the text is pretty straightforward. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, how do you tell if you're delighting in God's word? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, the one delighting in God's word is the one meditating on God's word. Um, now, the Hebrew word for meditate is really cool. Uh, It's like the idea of an audible mumbling or muttering, or musing, or talking to oneself. Um, It's the idea of of chewing. The happy Christian is one who delights in God's word by chewing on it, by mulling it over, by considering it deeply, by talking to oneself about it. Delighting and meditating on God's word is is not just having a you know ten minute quiet time in the morning. Not that that's bad, but it's it's not being a Bible scholar. It's not memorizing the whole Bible backwards. That's not what it is. Delighting and meditating on God's word is simply thinking about it and chewing on it throughout the day. Taking a verse and just mumbling it to yourself as you go about the day, chewing on it, digesting it, letting it sink down into your heart, seeing how you might obey it, seeing how it might affect your life and seeing how God's grace is evident in it. See, the goal of this meditation, of this delighting, is not knowledge, but obedience. In the book of Joshua, God tells Joshua to meditate on his word day and night. And then he says this so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You see, delighting and meditating on God's word drives obedience. To God's word, and in turn, obedience to God's word drives delighting and meditating on it. The Puritan Thomas Brooks had this to say about meditating on Scripture. Listen to what he says. This is why I love the Puritans. the The, the beauty of his writing is incredible. He says this. Remember, it's not hasty reading, but serious meditating upon holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. It's not the bee's touching of the flower which gathers honey, but her abiding for a time on the flower which draws out the sweet. It's not he who reads most, but he who meditates most, who will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. So do you want to be happier, wiser, sweeter, stronger Christian this year? You want to grow in your faith? Well, join me in delighting and meditating on God's word. It's not rocket science, really. God has created us to live a certain way. And in his word, he tells us what that way is. If we meditate on it, obey it, we are happier. We're living according to the way that God has created us to live. If we try to do our own thing, we're less happy because we're going against the grain of how God has created us to live. I mean, it's pretty simple logic. And yet so often we are stubborn and ignorant. So the happy Christian shuts out the voice of the world and treasures the voice of God in his life. Shuts out the voice of the world and treasures the voice of God in his life. But there's more. You see, the psalmist doesn't just tell us what the happy Christian does, but he also tells us how this affects his life. What does this make his life look like? In fact, he tells us how rejecting it also affects other people's lives. So as we look at verses three and four, we're gonna see our second point for this morning, and it's this. The happy Christian is successful and grounded. The happy Christian is successful and grounded. Now look at verses three and four. Look what it says. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So the psalmist gives a very striking contrast. The happy Christian is like a big, beautiful tree by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In all of his fruit producing, in all that he does, he prospers. So picture that. Picture a nice landscape with a plentiful, rushing river, a perfect source of water and life. And now on the bank of the river, picture a big fruit tree, whatever your favorite fruit is, orange, apple, whatever. Now this tree has roots that run deep and the trunk is thick. It doesn't have any withering leaves because it's rooted right at the water source, rooted right at the source of its life, its nourishment. And every season when it's time to bear fruit, this tree is plentiful in fruit. It's a prosperous tree, a beautiful tree. And that is how the psalmist describes the happy Christian. He's like this tree. Because he is rooted and drinks deeply from God's word. He is prosperous. He's immovable. The happy Christian bears fruit in season. Notice, not all year round, but in season. Because he's connected to the source of life itself. The happy Christian still goes through seasons, but they are not destroyed by them. When the wind comes, the tree is unaffected. The tree is constantly feeding and rooted in God's word. So that's the happy Christian. Now, look at the picture of the wicked in comparison. Again, the ungodly. We have a tendency to think of wicked and kind of distance it to evil villains and people with capes. But it's not, it's ungodly. Those without God, those who reject Christ. Look what it says in verse 4 The wicked are not so. They're not like this tree, they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Just poof, and they're gone. That's what chaff is. It's, chaff is these little pieces of useless corn husks or wheat, wheat husks that as they're harvesting, they basically just throw it up into the air and all the good stuff comes down because it's heavy, the corn and the wheat, um, and the chaff just blows away in the wind. It's useless. Basically, it has no weight to it. Um, it just gets blown away easily, disposed of. The gentlest of winds and it's gone, thrown away, sometimes burned. Psalm 1 says, this is what the ungodly are like. Could there be a starker image, a beautiful, productive tree on the bank of a river and chaff driven away by the wind? It's here, it's gone. See, brothers and sisters, would you consider that image today? Ground yourself, root yourself in God's word, and you will be like this tree. See, but if you allow yourself to be influenced by the chaff, then you too will become like chaff. And see, that's, that's the striking thing about this image is that the psalmist is telling us, look, you as a tree, this, this is how dumb we are. As a tree, as this big, beautiful tree bearing its fruit and season, sometimes we're still tempted to be influenced by this little chaff blown away in the wind. Sometimes we want what they have. We want to live like they live. And it's just utter foolishness when considered in light of this picture. So ground yourself, root yourself in God's Word, and you will be like this tree. Reject God's word, and you're like chaff, driven away by the slightest wind. See how ridiculous it is for us to be influenced by the ungodly, by the world, by the culture? It's like, uh, just, it's like the tree looking to the chaff and wanting to be like it. But this year, I say, let us ground ourselves in God's word and delight in his word, day and night, constantly, unceasingly. And I wanna give a caution, because verse Three says about the tree, and all that he does, he prospers. Me and Ben were actually joking about this earlier, but uh, when when you're reading the Bible and you read a word like prospers, we need to be extremely careful that we don't read a 21st century American idea of prosperity into the scriptures. So in everything the happy Christian does, he really does prosper. That's what it says. But guess what? The biblical idea of prosperity is not always equal to uh, an American worldly idea of prosperity. So let's be careful. I mean, think about Jesus Christ, the ultimate example uh, of one who fulfills everything that Psalm 1 is talking about, right? The ultimate example of the happy Christian, uh, and yet God's word calls him a man of sorrows. Was his life prosperous? Well, it depends on which lens you use to look at it. You see, through the eyes of the world, he was a complete and utter failure. He was a Jewish peasant. He was homeless. He was poor. He died a humiliating death after failing to convince his own people that he could lead them. His own people killed him. In fact, all of his disciples were killed as well. Complete and utter failure through the world's eyes. But when we look at it through the lens of scripture, through God's eyes, we see that by his death, he purchased the people for himself. Through his death, he conquered sin, death, and defeated Satan. Literally all authority on earth and heaven on earth is now his. He sits enthroned at the right hand of the father forever ruling and reigning and will one day judge all of mankind as well as Satan and his demons. A little bit of a different picture. You see, all that to say, when we read prosper in the Psalm, we need to make sure that we read it through the lens of the cross and through the lens of Christ. And we need to remember the words of Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Written by the Apostle Paul from Prison. All things work together for good. In all that he does, he prospers. But see, you won't believe that when circumstances get hard if you're not delighting and meditating on his word. Because you won't won't bank on his word if you're not delighting and meditating on it. You'll seek prosperity the way the world does and you'll be sorely disappointed. See how it works? We We can trust in our faithful God when we're delighting and meditating on his word because we know what he's promised. So, so far we've seen that the happy Christian rejects the world's voice but treasures God's voice. And that the happy Christian is rooted and prosperous, but the ungodly are not. And now the third and final point this morning has to do with how this all affects eternity. And it's this. The happy Christian will be saved in the day of judgment because they are known by God. The happy Christian will be saved in the day of judgment because they are known by God. In other words, all of those who are rooted in God's word and therefore rooted in Christ will be saved on the day of judgment. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's no mincing words here. It's pretty black or white. The wicked, the ungodly, those without God will not stand in the judgment. The righteous will because they are known my God, the wicked will perish, the righteous will live. Judgment, condemnation, wrath and doom will be upon those who reject God. Will be upon all of those who reject Christ. Eternal destruction. But the righteous are known by God and they will not perish. See, the message of the entire Bible is that there are two ways to live. Submitting and worshiping God or rejecting him. Receiving Christ or rejecting Christ? That's it, there's two. And the Bible is also clear. Those who reject Christ receive eternal destruction, they will perish. Those who trust in Christ and believe in him receive eternal life. And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places among with a heaping load of blessings. And it's not just the Old Testament that speaks like this. In fact, the New Testament talks about it a lot more. Listen to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Again, black and white. He says this in John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, there's only there's two ways. One of life and one of death. One to eternal happiness, one to eternal sorrow. Now here's the kicker. Please don't misunderstand me. The way to eternal life, the path to eternal life is not through meditating and delighting on God's word. We're not saved by how much we read our Bibles. We're not saved by how much delight we can muster up in our heart. We're not saved by how much the Bible we have committed to memory. No, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. We're saved by turning from our effort and placing all of our hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You See, when you realize how amazing God is and how great his mercy is, how vast his knowledge is, that's when you will delight in him and meditate on his word. The wicked are like chaff. When you shut out their voice, you can begin to delight. See, you won't delight in God until you realize the gravity of the situation, until you realize that you deserve, I deserve, we all deserve eternal destruction, and yet he opened the way to eternal life through the blood of his own son. You see, once you realize that, now we have the basis for delight. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way, commenting on Psalm 1. He says this, Christians have their attitude toward God changed from one of duty to free, loving, self-giving because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So to know how to meditate, on and delight in the Bible is the secret to a relationship with God and to life itself. So that's my new year's plea to you this year and for the rest of your life. Trust God with your happiness. Trust him enough to follow him, to delight in his word, to meditate on his word and to follow his path to true happiness. Stop trying to find it in all the wrong places Shut out the wicked voices that are influencing your life and open your ears to God's word. Do this, brothers and sisters, and by God's amazing grace, he says, you will prosper. Let us pray. As the worship team comes up, Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we stand before you humbled by your amazing grace. Humbled by the fact that we all stand guilty before you. We all stand wicked before you. We all stand sinful before you. We're all found to be scoffers before you. And yet, in that state, while we were still enemies of you, Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. And now you've opened a way. You've opened the way to eternal life in your son, Jesus. So Father, we stand here, we sit here, we are here this morning, recipients of your grace. And Lord, we humbly ask, would you help us to delight and meditate on your word? Not just as another thing to check off our box, not just as another duty, but Lord, as the essence of life itself. Lord, would you reveal the voices in our life that influence us, that are wicked. Lord, would you change our hearts this morning? Cause us to love you more and more day by day, Father. And as we go forward into this new year, Lord, would you help us to delight in you and in your word? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. at orangefilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org.